2 Timothy 2, 14 through 26 in the English Standard Version. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. So, um, tell you <clears throat> briefly about my dad. He, um, after he got out of the Navy, some point in the 50, late 50s, I believe it was, um, he got into fast food business, um, which fast food was taking off at that point, and he got into fast food and became a manager and district supervisor, and, and he, he ran a lot of fast food uh, type of restaurants for his whole career. So that's what he did, and um, I'm I'm proud of my dad because he was a, an incredible leader of people, um, and there's there's numerous reasons for that. Um, but but one is he had a lot of high expectations for for those that worked um, on his team at his stores, um, and he'd hold them to that. But I can tell you that growing up with him in that career and his mindset of that, when we would go to restaurants, we were constantly critiquing. Um, you know, they should have done this, or they, you know, how did they miss that? Um, so it kind of ruined me growing up for going and just enjoying a nice burger or something. I always had that critique mode going on. And in fact, to this day, my kids like to joke with me that if we end up having to go to McDonald's, which I'm not a fan, you know, the, the food is, you know, not good for my figure. Um, <laughs> I, I find that often when I go there, it's not not been well run. And so we go there on trips when we have to. 
But my kids joke with me when we go, I get into what they call a McDonald's mood. So, which is not a good mood, just in case you're wondering. Um, so I've been ruined by my dad's constant awareness of how things should have been run and handled and the expectations that should have been there. But here are a few things that he looked for when he was leading and managing these stores. He looked, first of all, he had high expectations, like I said. Second of all, he looked for, for people of character, um, which was rare because often we'd say, well, you know, we, you're getting hourly employees. What, what would you, what would you want them to do? And he said, well, why wouldn't I want the best? Why wouldn't I want the highest expectation? So he, he expected character and he was looking for those that were trustworthy. And once he realized that they are somebody of character and they are trustworthy, then he was willing to delegate to them and empower them to do their job. And he, he would create this, this crew or this team of people that he could, he could rely on. And he knew what was happening. He fully could trust in them. Um, so some of us in here can relate to that because we, um, you know, maybe we're involved in, in a context of work where we have people that we need to, to trust in and delegate and empower. Um, you know, we, we might do some hiring. Other, others of us are not in that situation, but we've experienced where somebody has, has kind of assessed us. Are, are you trustworthy? And can I trust and rely on you? And can I delegate this and empower you to do something? And so either we're in either of those categories, if not both. Um, what we're going to look at today, we're going to continue the series that we've been doing in 2 Timothy. Uh, a couple weeks ago when, when Tim was here, we, we looked at the first 13 verses of chapter 2. And now we're going to finish up chapter 2 in 2 Timothy. And in this passage, we see Paul writing, again, it's a letter. Remember, it's a letter. He's writing to Timothy. And he's saying, listen... Um, there are expectations, there's character, there's skills, and we, and we look and see what an empowered role of a proven worker in the kingdom of God is. So that's, in a lot of ways, what this passage we're looking at today is all about. A worker in the kingdom of God, and Paul is expressing this through, through a letter to Timothy. So let's consider the context. In verse 14 it says, remind them of these things. So looking back, re- reminding of likely what Paul has already expressed to Timothy so far in this letter. Um, and then charging them before God. So there's, there's a seriousness of continually reminding and charging them in these things. And so the context we see here is the idea of spiritual mentoring. If you remember in, cha- in chapter 2, verse 2, it, Paul said, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will, will be able to teach others also. So there's these layers of mentoring. So people that, that Paul is shepherding and leading and mentoring he first he communicates this to Timothy and says, "Listen, there's a layer of people that that we we are required and obligated to develop." He says, charging them before God, and then he says this. Um, he talks about uh, <clears throat> charge them before God not to quarrel about words which do not do any good, but only ruins the hearers. So he's talking about trivial debates. And he's going to talk about this a little bit further in the passage as we just read. Um, 
Titus 3.9 is another area. But Paul is really going after the false teaching that's happening in the church. And, and we see that in other letters as he's written as well. And so false teaching is a big issue. And he starts out saying, listen, you, this is not good. And you as a leader need to deal with this. And then he says in verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, but rightly handling the word of truth. Here's where he talks about the worker idea. An approved worker is, it has the sense of somebody who's tested. They've been proven to be trustworthy. They've been proven to have character. And he kind of separates it into two different categories here. He says, first, need not be ashamed. So if you're unashamed, you're speaking to character. So we could create two big overarching categories here. The idea of character for somebody that's, that's to be trusted. And the idea of competency, because then he says, rightly handling the word of truth. So the idea of, are you unashamed because your character is godly? Are you rightly handling the word of truth? Scripture. Do you understand how to study it and to teach it to someone accurately? Because remember, false teaching is one of the main issues here that's going on. And so he says character and competency are are the two things to be concerned about. So let's talk about the right handling. So Paul, as he writes this, this is um, Phil Becky. Do you you have any kind of thick cloth at home? And she she came up with this. I don't I don't even know what this is. I don't think it's real. No, it's not real. So Paul, by trade, was a tent maker. And so his, the idea here, the right handling of truth, that phrase actually means cutting straight. And some think it might mean cutting straight, like in, in, um, in Psalms there's a point where it says cutting a road straight. In this case, it's, it's feasible that, that Paul's actually getting at um, what he has to do at, at the time in making tents. He had to figure out, like if you just cut a, a simple piece of paper, cutting it straight, um, I'm not the best at it, but it's a little easier then if I were to take something thicker with some texture to it, there, there's a sense of a skill to making a straight cut so that you can then build a tent, sew the tent together properly. So that was kind of a, a thing of concern when somebody was, was um, making a tent, that those straight cuts were important initially as they were then piecing the tent together. And so this idea of rightly handling the word of truth is to cutting straight because the idea of the false teaching that was occurring was kind of a, a, a non-straight cut of God's word, an inaccurate interpretation and understanding of God's word. Um, a clear understanding, in other words, if we, there's this fancy term called exegesis. How many of you heard that term? That's the idea of what did the author of this scriptural text mean? What were they actually saying? And you study and you figure out that well. So, you, under, you know, there's cultural understandings to figure out. Um, you know, there might be word studies. What do they mean by that word? Because it's obviously been translated into English. So there's the idea of studying to figure out what was really said. But what happened in these false teachings is a big fancy word called isogesis. 
If you heard of that word, eisogesis means, well, I'm going to look at a, a, a scripture passage and I'm going to think it says this because I kind of want it to say that. You're, you're kind of putting into the text what you want it to say or what you think it might say. The problem is, sometimes a cultural lens, we don't, we don't recognize that we're thinking through our own mindset, and sometimes we approach Scripture that way without even realizing it. So, Paul is, is addressing this again, a proven, tested worker in the kingdom of God, this is a big deal. And this is what Paul's expressing to Timothy in this way. So, when I was in, I'll say this real quick, when I was in Bible college, we had this uh, class called you know, hermeneutics, which is the fancy term of how do you study Scripture, you know, the tools of studying Scripture. Um, and so they had these shirts that the, the bookstore, you know, this, is, this is cool Bible college stuff, I survived hermeneutics was across the shirt. And, you know, once you actually passed that class, because it was known as one of the harder classes to, to actually pass, you know, you could go buy that shirt and wear it probably. Um, but I want to I want to stop and recognize one thing. There is a class going on um, back there. Perry, where are you? Where's Perry? Perry, can, would you stand up? Listen, I want to appreciate what Perry is doing. And and if you have not considered going to this class, I want to encourage you to do it. You can jump in at any time. What Perry is doing is exactly this: How do we rightly divide the Word of Truth? There, there's a, a concept in education um, that's growing steam called competency-based education. And the idea is, you know, in a, in a nutshell, is that you're going after what competencies people need and you teach towards that. Um, but we live in an information age. We can Google so much. So much of teaching at this point should not be about just here's a bunch of information. Much of teaching should be, well, you can get the information. We'll point you in the direction of, of some good, solid information. But what do we do with that? And so the idea of the hermeneutics word or the idea of, of that class that Perry is leading is that it gives us the, the skill set, the competency to, on our own, rightly divide the word of truth. And it is a skill set. Now, as much as that shirt said, I survived hermeneutics and it was a difficult class, it's, it's obtainable. It's a skill set that we need to learn and go after. But God's Word is obtainable. It's not something just for those that went to a Bible college or a seminary to, well, they can understand it. It's obtainable. But I think the church, not, I'm not saying just living hope, but I think the church universal has, has done a poor job in recent history because we expect those that went to seminary just tell us what it says. And we haven't gone after it well ourselves. So this is what Paul is saying to Timothy and, and saying, Timothy, don't just stop with you as a, as a main leader in the church. Teach it to others. Okay, so uh, verse 16 and 19, uh, it says, An approved worker avoids godless controversies. <clears throat> so the irreverent babble in verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Um, and the, this idea of spreading. And then uh, Paul gives one of the rare specific examples of false teaching that's occurring. And here's what, what he was pointing to. These two... Um, 
Hymenius and, and Philetus were, were really kind of taking on, of the day, the Greek philosophers thought that the soul was immortal, but it was trapped in this body that was like a prison. So the body was worthless, and the soul was the only thing of value. And this was a Greek philosophy of, of the time. And so when they understood Scripture and they heard the Gospel, what they were doing is, remember that word isogesis, where they're saying, well, not even realizing it possibly, our, our culture of today says this body is, is nothing. We're, it's a prison for the soul only. So the, the physical body can't be resurrected. Well, that denies what happened with Jesus. It denies the future resurrection of a believer. We just said that in the, in the creed. We, we affirm that in the creed. The resurrection of the body. And so they denied that. And, and Paul goes after that. He says, this isn't right. And this is likely a, a result of them not rightly handling the word of truth. Not cutting straight not accurately understanding what the gospel is. Verse 19, he says, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. See, the illusion here is, there is, there is um, it was customary to inscribe on a building probably, you know, likely the cornerstone, describe on a building something um, that indicates the purpose of the building or some kind of very in, important phrase or maxim. So that that is, is a customary thing that that is alluded to here. And what Paul is getting to with Timothy is two things. One, do not don't fear the outcome of this. Don't fear the destiny of God's work in your life and the life of those you're leading in the church. Because God's got that under control. But you do need to rightly handle the word of truth and teach others to do so. Because this false teaching, as he said earlier in this in this uh, set of verses, this false teaching is spreading. And in fact... Because they were denying the bodily resurrection of Christ and, and believers, people were losing hope. They were, they, were, they were losing hope, and so it was affecting the church directly. So this slightly off teaching was actually a, was way off. I don't know, it, the text doesn't say whether these, um, these two teachers were purposely doing this. They likely believed this was the case because they were using their own cultural understanding to approach what God was doing, to approach Scripture. And then verses um, 20 and 21, this section here, this last part, actually all the way through 26, talks about an improved worker being holy or really set apart for a purpose. The idea of, of holiness for the believer is being set apart for a purpose. And so in verse 20, now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So a great house is, is um, a sense of like a palace, and, and it's possibly talking about in the kingdom of God, 
And then he changes the the metaphor and kind of goes personal to the individual being the vessels in verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. The idea of being set apart. So what does it look like to be set apart as a worker in the kingdom of God? He goes on in in 22 to 26. I'm going to highlight a few here. Flee from youthful passions. Youth, youthful passions. Now, Timothy was, was in this culture considered younger. And the text doesn't say exactly what are these youthful passions that, that Paul is, is pressing on him to, to flee from. But likely in this context, we could point to impatience, intolerance, love of argument, self-assertion, partiality, and the list could go on. So by context, we can we can surmise there, there might be some youthful passions that Paul had in mind when he stated this. And then he says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, which are character traits, faith in Christ, that will actually bring unity to the church because the false teaching was dividing. So it would bring unity. And then in 23 and 24, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. He says that again. Must not be quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach, likely connected to rightly dividing the word of truth, patiently enduring evil. So despite the false teaching, what is our posture toward it? And correcting his opponents with gentleness. Again, Unity, not division. So a worker in the kingdom, an approved worker in the kingdom is not trying to divide, but is trying to graciously unify. One of my, this is a, a pet peeve of mine. Um, I don't know how many of you spend much time online, uh, whether it's blogs, articles, social media, that kind of thing. But one of the things I've noticed in recent years is that Christians on, and sometimes on one side or the other of a, of a, maybe an argument, maybe an understanding of scripture, but Christians will play out their perspective often in a very divisive way and publicly. So now we have the church debating and in fact arguing with one another in the most public, accessible context that we have in, in our culture today. I think that's an issue. Because I think the church in general is failing for people to understand we're a community locally. Where we are, where we live, where we attend and worship on a Sunday morning, this is the community that we should have these conversations in. This is the community that we should say, what is Scripture teaching here? What really is true? This is the setting. But I, because I think the church is failing in that, all we have now, I'm overstating this, but what we tend to see is everybody, well, I've got to tweet this. I've got to blog about this. And then you get these battles online. Now, you know, I don't know if everybody pays a whole lot of attention to that, but it's driven me nuts, to be honest with you. It is something the church at the local level should be discussing because we know one another. 
And we're less likely to get in arguments over maybe... I'm not sure that that passage is saying that. I'm not sure that that biblical principle means this. Well, because we, we know each other, we can love one another, and we can graciously have conversation. But in the online environment, that's hard to happen. So let's remember the context. The overall context here is that Paul is mentoring Timothy so that he will mentor others. So the overall context is spiritual mentoring. And this might be kind of an atypical understanding for for some of us in this room that we are part of, we have the responsibility as Christians to develop others. It may not be what we consider and think through much. Paul points out to Timothy in this chapter that Christianity isn't meant for isolation. Remember verse 2, teach it to others, right? What is, and then the other thing I want to consider is what is what is required of a spiritual leader? Because we could chalk all this up to say, all right, Paul was a leader in the church, Timothy was a leader in the church. I'm not a leader in the church. So this is not for me. Is it dissimilar to what Paul was charging Timothy to remind and charge others? Is it to other leaders in the church? Is it dissimilar what any one of us sitting in this room is being charged with? Reminded of? I don't think there's a dichotomy like we understand it today. Because often we think, well, okay, there's a pastor. There's, you know, there's the, there's the shepherd, there's the leader of the church, and then the rest of us, whew, we're off the hook, because they're the ones that are supposed to do the, do the work. They're the ones that are supposed to rightly understand scripture. No, I don't, I don't think that's what the message of scripture is. Let me pause real quick and then we'll wrap this up. Very important. Everything we've talked about is not about our, our own merit. So when we talked about uh, the character and the competencies, talked a lot about rightly dividing the word of truth so that false teaching doesn't creep in or we're not a, a part of presenting false teaching. Uh, we talked about being set apart. It's not about our merit. It's about God's grace. So what we're talking about here is useful, usefulness and purpose as workers in God's kingdom, not what saves us, not what brings salvation to us. I think in the church often we don't talk enough about that. You know, I, I read one time where somebody put a tape line down the center, the center aisle of, of the entire auditorium and said, Right now, I'm talking about things of, of salvation, justified, justification. And now, if I step over here, I'm talking about what does it look like? I, I'm already saved. I'm, I, I'm a believer. Now, what is our purpose? Why did he save us? And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the, the usefulness and purpose in God's kingdom as a worker. So here's what I want to close with. If you don't mind, um, I, I like doing kind of some some self-assessment and some questions for you if you haven't noticed my pattern. So could you just kind of close eyes, uh, bow heads, and, I, and I, I do this just so that you can focus and consider.
Have you placed your faith in Jesus? He's the way to a right relationship. And He's calling you to a purpose in His kingdom. Have you, have you personally done that? Because now is the time. According to this passage, are you a tested and approved worker in the kingdom of God? As you think through what we talked about this morning, are you a tested and approved worker in the kingdom of God? It's only by His grace, so I'm not suggesting that you um, kind of just try harder. What part of this passage did you realize you're not aligned with, with now? Ask God to change you according to His grace. And He has promised to complete the work that He began in you. So claim that promise. What's our responsibility? How can we practically be pursue change, practically pursue the right character and the right competency to be an approved, proven worker in God's kingdom, useful in His kingdom? Prayer. Study God's Word. Read. Maybe there's a class that you could attend, um, like we mentioned earlier. Maybe there's a mentor that you can connect with that has the understanding that can lead you into a, a, a more clear way to study Scripture well. Understand who God is more clearly. And then last two, do you believe God has called all Christians, including you, to invest in others as Paul is investing in Timothy and charging him in turn to invest in another? How do you feel about that responsibility? God, we are desperate for you. We are so thankful that you reached into history to show what life is like, an abundant life, to show what it's like to be useful and purposeful in your kingdom. To die the death we couldn't and to powerfully conquer death through the resurrection, the bodily resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us, each one of us in this room, to pursue You, and by Your grace, we would be found unashamed. We would be found with the competencies to rightly handle Your truth in Scripture. That we would be found ultimately as an approved worker in Your kingdom. That we would understand our purpose that You have given. A transcendent purpose. It goes beyond us. It goes beyond our what our desires have been. It goes beyond even family, friends, work. What have You purposed us to do in Your kingdom? Lord, give us understanding and change us, Lord. We're desperate for You. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.